This is a podcast where real doctors discuss fake medical emergencies. That means that unless it's between the hours of 7 p.m. on March 21st and 7 a.m. on March 22nd, this podcast is not medical advice. If you need medical advice or medical care, please contact your doctor. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Bain. I'm Johnny Kolosinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as The Surge, a dystopian future where you can do anything as long as you have the right soda. This is Hi, Everybody, a bad medicine podcast. Every week we talk about what Hollywood gets right and wrong about medicine and how the body works. You can find this podcast online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hi, Everybody, MD, or by visiting www.hieverybodymd.com. You can also call us if you want to leave us a message, give us ideas, give us feedback. Text us even. You can call us at 530-DOCTORB. That is 530-D-O-C-T-O-R-B. I guess the B stands for breaking and entering because it fits with the theme of today's episode, kind of. Yeah. And we do have a first-time guest with us this week, uh, Dr. Ashley Elker. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here. Uh, You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So I actually did my residency at UCSD in San Diego in emergency medicine, uh, during which time I started to get involved in consulting for film and television. Um, That includes uh, shows like ABC's Station 19, The Babysitter's Club for Netflix, um, the Emmy award winning show The Act uh, with Joey King. I also did a Chicago Med and more recently um, Love in the Time of Corona, which isn't yet released. Ooh, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it's a new one. Awesome. And also, you consulted on The Purge, the series, which is what we're discussing this week. We're going to be discussing season two, episode two, Everything is Fine. Everything's not fine with this episode at all. Yeah, I feel like that's a misnomer, but yeah. (laughs) I mean, it started out really like kind of peppy. You know, they brought in these maids um, to clean up everything post-Purge. And it definitely was one of those things. I don't know if you ever, I know you don't really watch a lot of these things, but watching the purge, the movies, I always wondered what the day after would be like. Mm-hmm. And then finding some guy with his, a knife in his back and cleaning up a little jarring there. Yeah. And most people wouldn't realize that like there would be medical consulting on a show like this <laughs> because it's not really with, it's kind of like the opposite of what I do in real life. Yeah. <laughs> you mean you don't do people dead? on the side of the road or anything like that. It's the exact opposite. I, you try and save everyone, which was one of the messages I actually worked with Derek Luke on, who was the actor um, in this show, because there are some very specific scenes where it was kind of like the purge versus kind of his doctor personality. Like he, for instance, one of the people, and I think we'll probably talk about this later, but yeah. one of the people who was sent to kill him comes in as a patient. And as a physician, what does that mean? Like, what, what does your Hippocratic oath mean? Like what, what would happen in that situation? And that was something we kind of addressed in this episode, actually. And I think we can stay on this topic. It's like when you deal with certain patients in the ER and they're very hostile towards you and all of a sudden they crash, you're like, what do I do in this situation, right? Like, do I really, you were such a dick. Like, do I really want to save you right now? Yep, same thing. Doesn't matter if you're a, you know, the worst person in the world or the best person in the world, it's always the same treatment. And I think that that's something that, was really important, you know, because I think that there's a lot of humanization of, you know, physicians and nurses and healthcare um, professionals in medicine. And sometimes they get it right. And sometimes they get it wrong. And this was an instance where I feel like they got it right. Because even, you know, even though, you know, in this fictitious world, everyone, you know, for one night a year can do any crime and not get in trouble for it, which includes murder. And even, you know, these people are coming into the ER that have all just committed these crimes and it just, it doesn't matter, you know, all the doctors and nurses in that emergency room go and they try and save every patient just mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. The premise of The Purge that both the the movies and the series is that, like you said, for 12 hours, anything goes. And so you, as long as you finish your murder before 7 a.m. and start it after 7 p.m., you're good to go. You've got to get out of jail free card. And this episode, as you guys were saying, it deals with the immediate after effect. It starts basically at 7.01. Yeah. And I actually took notes as I was watching because I've never watched this show before. And I go, man... I would hate to be at work on the day after the purge. Like that would be the worst day to go to work of all time. And I didn't know that was the immediate next scene was the emergency department going completely bananas. 
For sure. I feel like there's always um, those days where we don't want to work like 4th of July, like the ones you know that are going to be bad. Oh yeah. And this would be one of them. 4th of July, Super Bowl. Like yes. after the minute the game ends, it's just absolute chaos. And that's kind of what it reminded me of was just seeing everyone rushing up in various levels of distress and pain and probably drunkenry too. Because that was, I think two years ago, that was my Super Bowl. Was I actually worked that day and now I really regretted it. Like so many drunk people, so many carbon monoxide poisonings because they were partying hard, vomiting everywhere. That's kind of what it felt like. Gotta love the ER. I mean, it's fun. It makes for good drama and it's kind of hilarious because you'll, you'll always have war stories, I would say. Why does carbon monoxide poisoning pick up after the Super Bowl? So you're all crowded in a house and it's chilly. So you turn on your heater and okay. then you forget that. And then it's, it's the first on. time it's been on all year because you live in San Diego. Yes. Or you okay. started a fire in the house to warm up the fireplace, but didn't open any of the windows or the vents. Which we try to tell people not to do. <laughs> no <laughs> fires indoors, people. I mean, but it looks so nice. It looks so scenic. And then you just leave the windows closed the whole time. And then everyone's drunk and fighting. And you're like, which is the vomiting coming from? Is it from carbon monoxide or is it from the alcohol? Not sure. And that's a constant like battle. That was, I think that was the most patients I had in one family at one go. I think it was a 10 for. Oh, wow. Yeah. It took me longer to write the notes than to see those patients. I remember the pain that is to write notes for patients. <laughs> so, uh, before we, we talk about that first ER scene, the, mm -hmm. after that cleanup scene, the very first thing they were being admonished to do was, uh, the the cops and the what visceral cleanup detail that was around uh, were advising everyone not to touch the bodies because dead bodies. I assume that that would be solid medical advice. I mean, I, we're not supposed to be giving medical advice, but I guess <laughs> post purge. I actually, I actually didn't. <clears throat> I didn't consult on that specific aspect, but I feel like yeah, don't don't touch the bodies is probably good advice. So that ruins the whole plot of Lean on Me, basically. Like, yeah. just don't don't go touching bodies in general. Because <laughs> that's basically what it says. But you also don't know how these people died, right? Like, did they die because of the purge? Or did they die for other reasons? You know, I'm trying to think of, like, issues, like, tox reasons that you wouldn't be want to touch a body. I don't know. I mean, I just... It's good life advice. Just don't touch anything that if you, you shouldn't want a be good touching. Talks reason. I remembered in fellowship we had one guy who tried to kill himself by ingesting some pills. We didn't know what it was. This happened to my resident in a small hospital in New Mexico. Did CPR because he was um, pulseless. Uh, then he started emitting a garlic smelling gas. Did not know what it was. But then people started throwing up everywhere and eyes were burning. The whole entire ER filled up, and then they found gopher pellets. Interesting. So gopher pellets kill you by when it touches water, it releases chlorine gas. Oh. So he essentially bioterrorized the entire emergency department what? from this one patient. I was trying to remember. It's organophosphate. So what I was thinking of, I yep. was like, what? There's, there's stuff that you don't want to touch people, but <laughs> that, that would be it. Cause then everyone very specific. gets very leaky is how yeah. I was remembering it. Uh, tearing, drooling, vomiting, pooping, peeing yourself, the whole thing. So they actually have to shut down the entire emergency department. So that would be one of those situations I would not touch them. If they look juicy, I guess, don't touch them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. It's a good rule of thumb. If someone looks juicy, you probably shouldn't be associating or touching them for sure. Agree. Yeah. Bars, restaurants in general. Homeless people that are found on the side of the road. You want to help, probably should call for help. And, and from there, we move into the ER scene. Mm -hmm. And... Jackson, you, you had some initial impressions on that. I wrote chaotic, and then I wrote, that's a bad laceration, because some guy had a really good like shoulder laceration, not bleeding, but I'm guessing it was there for a while. But then I also wrote, I don't envy the triage nurses yeah. at all in this situation. I don't know if you consulted on that part, but it just sounded like everyone was trying to mob rush the, the nurse's stand, which I don't think I've worked in an emergency department where the, the check-in doesn't have bulletproof glass. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's a city thing, right? Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think, actually, I kind of, I work one out in more of a rural ER now, but mm -hmm. they still have bulletproof glass, I think. 
But yeah, so that was a scene that I did work on. So one of the things we talked about, so the way that this works generally is, um, it depends on the show, but for instance, this show, I kind of sat down with the writer's room and talked about it. And then I actually, I worked with one of the actors too. But one of the things we talked about was like mass casualty events and kind of, you know, the different, um, you know, levels of casualty and how you code people with different colors, et cetera. Um, But for kind of how fast the scene had to be, that didn't really work out. And they kind of wanted you to just feel the chaos. So they showed that initial chaos and then they kind of moved into the back room um, where he was confronted with his his first patient, which was this guy um, who had attempted to murder him the night before. So yeah, the initial like mass casualty event, we definitely talked about that. Um, But I think that that kind of, one thing you have to learn when you do these types of consulting jobs is they have to do what fits um, the television show artistically too so they take a lot of license with it and my whole thing you know doing this type of consulting is I'm kind of taking it as like a public health effort uh, an opportunity maybe for some passive learning uh, for people when they're watching television shows and also I think that it takes away from the show when things are done really incorrectly yeah like the blacklist yeah you're in this world and you want to immerse yourself in it Um, but it's really hard to do that when you're watching something and it's very blatantly wrong. Uh, and I think especially in medicine, there's a lot of people in healthcare. And so, you know, when you're watching these TV shows, it definitely irks people sometimes when these things are wrong. So there's that aspect of it that, you know, no matter what world you're creating, whether it's something fictitious or based on real life, you want to stick to the rules of that world. And if you're going to make something based on, you know, the emergency department or, you know, house or one of these TV shows, you want to stick as much to the reality as possible. And that makes it something that's really captivating for people. Yeah. And a lot of people do get their education from these shows. Like yeah. people think if you your heart stops, you got to shock them. And yeah. that's like a big thing we see all the time. Like I had patients where the kid's heart stopped and the family would hook them up to jumper cables to yeah. restart the heart. And it's like that kind of stuff that misleads the public. And I think this is why this podcast is kind of fun, but also mildly informative because we can actually talk about what works and what doesn't. And kind of try to break down stuff and try to help people realize, you know, you know this stuff probably isn't the right thing and it's not what it's going to look like in real life. And I think another thing to, that's really important for people to realize that I've really been working on with Hollywood lately mm-hmm. is that people don't usually just wake up from CPR. No. Oh, we bring that up like all the time, I think. Yeah, it's really, and it's really hard for families when they come in with a patient that's just gotten CPR and they, you know, all they see on television are these people getting CPR and then waking up and that's not real life. You know, the only people I was thinking about it the other day, cause I had somebody pose this question to me. I'm like, the only people I've really seen ever wake up from you, like a CPR situation was somebody that drowned. Yeah. And that it's very specific. And I, I've seen it once in, cold, you know, cold water drown. Years. I think it's the only time I've ever seen that. Yeah. And I think another one was where the patient had an arrhythmia and wasn't getting blood perfused to his brain. Well, and as we were doing compressions, he would jump up and yell. Yeah. And then once we stopped compressions, he stopped yelling. Very, very rare, very, very rare. And it's, it's a fallacy that I think is really hurtful because when someone you know, has this experience in their real life, their expectations are, are wrong in a way that makes it really hard for them to kind of accept realities of what's going on. Because the likelihood of someone coming back to normal after CPR is very, very, very low. And I think that's a hard thing for people to recognize too. Yeah, that's just another reason. I think that this type of stuff, I really enjoy it. My like my family, I grew up in California and my um, grandfather actually wrote for a show called Hogan's Heroes. Nice. And so I, I've always really been interested in writing and the arts in general. And so it was something I was passionate about. And then, you know, along with the public health communication and education aspect of it, I kind of got involved during residency. And then after that, um, just kept, kept volunteering and working with different people. Sounds awesome. The one thing I did notice in the ER scene that was kind of weird was someone who got shot in the chest and they said, oh, it's through and through. Uh, No major arteries are hit. You're going to be fine. You're a lucky one. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't think I discussed that one. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure you didn't on that yeah, one. Yeah, you hit something, right? You hit a lung, you got a pneumo, you hit like, you hopefully not hemothorax. Because then you wouldn't be standing. Yeah. But they said, oh, you're one of the lucky ones. You'll be out of here soon. I'm like, no, don't say that. Maybe Everybody's, in the shoulder? Oh, it was pretty. No, it was pretty through the chest. It's where I would, it's where I would dart someone. Okay, My theory so, yeah. is that if you get shot and you walk in after 7.01 a.m., you're legally not allowed to die. 
Oh, I see. I see. Because then that would be murder beyond the exactly. I mean, you're you're in some murky legal waters because that's like um, child abuse cases where they want to keep the patient alive for as long as possible so they don't get charged with murder. Yeah, people do some. That is murky water. I don't. I and I'm not sure in the purge what the rules are. Um, but yeah, I think that's another thing people don't realize is a lot of the shows I consult on. They're they're expecting like things like Chicago Med and The Resident and those types of shows. I'm like, no, most of the shows you consult on are things that like you know just have medical aspects, like The Purge, for instance. Yeah. I think that would be more fun to do than a show like The Resident or Chicago Med, where A would be scrutinized more, and B there is too much drama in some of those yeah. shows. There's a like, lot of drama. I mean, there's a lot of drama in medicine, but maybe not that not that much interpersonal drama. Yeah, I don't. I only heard of one case of that during medical school. Some interpersonal drama, like a Grey's Anatomy or, or a resident. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it exists, but it's not every person. I mean, they have to write that. I feel like because it's part of like the character building, etc. Because everybody but wants that. It's not Shon- it's Shondaland. You need that. Oh yeah, she's she's amazing. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I think my friend used to hang out at her house. Oh Courtney. really? I think Courtney. Yeah. Oh man, I'm jealous. I know. I'm a big Shonda Rhimes fan. <laughs> I mean, she's built an empire. Yes, she definitely that she has. has. So that I mean, understandable. But I cannot watch Grey's Anatomy as I used to. I think it started in medical school for me, so that was a while ago. It's been on a very long time. I mean, it's hard to keep a show interesting for that long, I think, but they do a good job at it. They actually do a lot. I know some people that work on that show and I think they do a pretty good job at keeping things realistic. Um, I mean, there's always- The first couple of seasons are pretty rough, yeah. Yeah, where you're just like, it's like, you know, when the nephrologist is doing surgery and you're like, no, that's not how this works. (laughs) Or a dermatologist running around yelling that they're on call and wants attention. Yeah. Dermatologists are never there. Should have been Sorry. a dermatologist, man. <laughs> we all we all know about the road to happiness, and uh-huh. I well, did not pick any a part of that. Emergency <laughs> medicine is, I guess, kinda. I mean, it's competitive. Everyone thinks oh, shift, cool. it's shift work, so yeah, it's kind of nice. But I don't think I could do like radiology or anesthesiology or that stuff. My attention span is garbage. Yeah, I mean, it's a great specialty, but man, it's been challenging, especially this year has been very rough. So, but I feel like it's a pretty amazing community. I love you guys. So it's fun. Emergency medicine is where it's at. Yeah. It's weird hearing all the whole frontline heroes kind of stuff. I'm like, stop. Just, I don't want to hear any of that stuff. We're all just doing our jobs and trying not to drown in all of the shenanigans. I think that's really what it is. I'm definitely trying not to drown in the shenanigans for sure. It's been nuts, but yeah. Stop calling you heroes and just give you more masks. I mean, we're good on masks now. Yeah. (laughs) I think we're better on masks now. Now, if everyone can just get vaccinated, that would be nice. Yes, right. please. Please get vaccinated. If you don't remember anything else from me speaking today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very important. I think it's not going to turn you into a zombie. They're not going to leave a piece of the needle behind to turn you in or to track you. Your yeah. cell phone does plenty of that for you. It's Exactly. Fun. You're carrying yeah. it with you on purpose. But yeah. yeah, I got both of my Pfizer vaccines. Just a little sore arm. That was it. Lucky. Yeah, it was great. I got wrecked. Oh, oh no. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, technically it's probably a good thing because you had more of a reaction. So maybe you have more of an immune response. A robust immune response is what my immunologist friend told me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think, Johnny, what else would you like Uh, to bring up? I'm trying to like go through my notes, but I think you have some stuff too. The the next thing I have is uh, when Dr. Marcus, Marcus, is dealing with the patient that he finds out is the one who showed up at his house trying to kill him. Yeah. Yes. I thought that was a body bag initially, but it was just blue tarp. I'm like, why did they bring in a dead guy? Like the ER doesn't want dead guys. Yeah. Was it, it was an EMS blanket maybe. I guess it was just blue. It looked like a tarp on the ground, which I guess sometimes EMS, the gray EMS blankets that. Yeah. Like, or or maybe it was just whatever. like remnants of the crazy night before yeah and just brought him in but i thought he was dead legitimately thought he was dead and i'm like this sucks i don't want to do it carry code was my understanding of the situation when when i was talking to the writer's room about this what's perry code almost dead yeah almost dead (laughs) yeah when they zoomed in i'm like oh you're sweaty yeah you're, you're gonna die you're gonna die real soon that's all i could remember from that um but then so far uh, almost stopping almost stopping um this is one rinky dink complaint I had was those are the crappiest trauma shears I've ever seen in my life. 
Oh, that's you. I love that. I love your attention to detail, Jackson. It's good. Well, <laughs> I also carry like my Raptors everywhere, which are like my big old trauma shoes to cut oh. everything. I'm that really annoying emergency medicine doctor that's always asking the nurses, hey, can I borrow your trauma shears? Those are so important. Like in fellowship, we had to cut off so many cowboy boots. Like if we did not have our trauma shears on, oh man, um, we would never get it done. And they want us to, yeah, they're like, save my, save my boots. Please don't cut them off. I'm like, your feet is literally a bag of crushed bones. Yeah, I can I slip it yeah. off, but it's just going to be blood. Yeah. And he goes, fine, cut off my boots. <laughs> But I noticed that. I'm like, weird. And then I didn't know what they were clamping. They kept on yelling, we got to clamp something. Yeah, I think um, if I remember correctly, I mean, I think there was an artery. I think his femoral artery was bleeding out, if I remember mm. correctly. Uh-huh. And so they were trying to clamp his femoral artery. And and then th- there was a very big Pulp Fiction-esque discussion that I had with mm. them at this point about epinephrine, like using epinephrine to wake him up. So this I guy actually was writing that down too. I was like, is it Epi or Narcan in this situation? So yeah. So I just, I don't, I, I can't really get behind the epinephrine thing, you know? And I think that what we've decided in Pulp Fiction was that maybe, hopefully he didn't actually stab her in the heart. I don't, maybe he just went into her sternum and she woke up due to surprise mm-hmm. or like some like, you know, pericardial thump type thing where like maybe they just like hit, she had an arrhythmia and they smacked her chest and she went out of the arrhythmia yeah. um but when um uma thurman wakes up in pulp fiction it definitely wasn't because she was stabbed in the heart with um epinephrine <laughs> yeah uh, well that was actually our very first episode and one of the things that we noticed was that the plunger on the syringe was not down when she oh. sits Sits Interesting. Up. Okay, good. So maybe maybe they got it right. Actually, on accident, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how, how in depth they thought about that, but so it was kind of the same thing where this guy didn't have a line. He had just gotten there. He's going to code, and um, they're like, "What can we give him to wake him up?" And so this was kind of a long discussion where epinephrine generally won't wake people up. Once you're in a code, you give it no. to them um, as something that where you're trying to kind of get their heartbeat going again, once you, once you get it going um, during CPR, either by defibrillating or, you know, once you get a pulse back, the epinephrine can help. Um, but generally those people don't like pop up and like no. become lucid again. So we were trying to figure out how this person who was going unconscious might pop up for a second and be conscious. And I'm like, you know, one of the only drugs that does that is in the setting of an opioid um, overdose is Narcan and you can give it intranasally so he wouldn't have to have a line. So it was kind of the type of thing where we were talking about ways that they could do this and kind of get him lucid for like another minute or two to have like a very short discussion before the patient passed away. And there were two aspects of this conversation. The first was, okay, maybe he, maybe he took opiates during this night of um, you know, this night of nothing, anything goes, nothing. Johnny called it St. Patrick's day with guns. Yes, basically. So (laughs) maybe he also on top of everything, maybe he's got some opiates on board and maybe we can wake him up with Narcan Mm -hmm. and separately. He's also, you know, bleeding out. And this is another issue that's going on. So that was the first discussion. And then the second discussion was you have a patient in front of you who's dying, but you also are trying to get information from him because you need to know who the person was that hired him um, Mm -hmm. to kill the the character we're speaking about, Derek Luke, Dr. Marcus, um, Mm -hmm. You know, he needs information to try and protect himself and figure out who hired someone to kill him. So from a physician perspective, I was like, okay, so you need to try and save this guy's life. And that needs to be your primary motive in this situation. Um, And then secondarily, you know, you could try and get whatever information from him, um, you know, once once you've fulfilled your primary motive. So what, what they kind of decided in writing was that they had gotten to the point where this guy was definitely not going to be viable and there was nothing that could be done. So they gave him the Narcan for it to wake him up for a second. And then, you know, they didn't have the, they didn't have the facilities kind of like what we've had during coronavirus where we actually start running out of things. Yeah. So they've and run was, out of what they need to save this person's life. And, yeah. thus, and I noticed that too. There was like no staff because everyone was yeah. completely yeah. overloaded. They ran out of blood. Like you kind of mentioned, there was nothing like that. No Probably blood. no ventilators and all that stuff too, because it yeah. would be like, I mean, now that you say it that way, I'm like, holy crap, the purge is basically a public health crisis. Yeah, it is. It really is a good, it's a good analogy for a public health crisis, right? The system is completely overwhelmed. And honestly, during coronavirus, that was the thing that scared me the most is that I was like, I'm in like a more rural area. Like what happens when we start getting overwhelmed? Like we run out of ICU beds, we run out of certain drugs and medications and that happened, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And it was something that was really terrifying and awful to live through. So kind of a similar situation to, you know, it's kind of like art reflecting light, reflecting art back and forth. Yeah. And this came out before all of this shenanigans. Oh yeah. Way before. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So, So, but yeah, you kind of bring up a good point. Like you're basically problem solving how to get to where the writers want you to go to. Exactly. So like a lot of times they'll be like, oh, I want something terrifying. So when we were working on the purge, we were looking for different instances of things that could happen that were very scary. And so one of the things that we discussed was rabies, um, which is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, rabies, that's the way so it works. Rare. Is, say that again. So rare though. Oh, super rare, super rare. Yeah. So that's, I mean, but that's what Hollywood thrives off of, right? Is yeah. like the, the captivating rare Zebras. story. Um, you know, Lisa Saunders in house, like that's one of the things that made that show so interesting is the rarity of these conditions. And a lot of times they're very interesting. Like they're very like captivating. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, rabies, you can get bit by a bat. It can be a painless bite. They only have to bite you once. And, you know, it's 99.999% fatal basically. Um, if you don't get treatment, which is depending on your vaccination status, vaccine and the rabies immunoglobulin, uh, uh, or just the vaccine, um, if you've, if you've been vaccinated before. Yeah. So we talked about that and kind of like the pathology of that. And, um, another one we talked about was tetanus. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, that really famous picture of, um, tetanus clenched person kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. It's a pretty terrifying picture. So we like went over all of these different pathologies that were really scary. Um, another one we talked about was um, compartment syndrome. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting, um, which is where you kind of cut open um, different parts of the body, usually arms and legs um, in the setting of them becoming overpressurized, usually due to like bleeding in in the, the quote unquote compartment. Um, And then, yeah, so those were like the types of things that we kind of discussed for the episodes. So exactly like you said before, they'll kind of give you where they want to get to. And then Mm -hmm. you kind of create a pathway to that for them using medical knowledge. And they still do fall into like random tropes too. Like I think when this patient died too, when kind of going back to the murder one, the minute he died, immediate flatline sound, which I don't think we ever get immediate flatline sounds ever if someone dies right away. It's like that slower heart rate and you just stare at it for a while. I'm like, is it going to pick up? Mm, probably not now. And then you call the code usually. Yeah. But I've never, I've never heard the flatline sound in yeah. a hospital setting. Well, and that was the other thing. I think that they were, I mean, once you got that, you would start CPR. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think they were in a setting where like they didn't have the resources. Thus the C- maybe they weren't doing CPRs, which I think actually happened in LA. They stopped transporting CPRs mm-hmm. for a while from yeah. the field. Out of hospital. Yeah. Yeah, which is terrifying. Um, And again, like something during coronavirus that I think people didn't necessarily know was happening, or maybe even know the difference between like normal time versus, you know, hospital systems being overwhelmed. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, they didn't perform CPR on this patient, which is, I think, due to that. Because they need the beds. Yeah. And they didn't have, they didn't have the facilities. They didn't even have blood. So this person was bleeding out. So that was, you know, one of the things they had to, they needed, they ran out of O negative, I guess. Yeah. yeah, they specific. Yeah, they specifically said that. I wonder if the Red Cross does a big pre-purge push. They should. <laughs> they should. That would be a great public health message for the next season. I mean, that would that would actually work really, really well. But it's also this dystopian kind of future that they built was a very like super right-wing conservative movement, and yeah. no one cares about other people in this situation. <laughs> so. I'm not trying to be political, but not that a is politics podcast, gonna, not a politics podcast, but that but. is actually the world that they're building towards the new founder. Was it the new founding fathers of America? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an interesting premise, but I definitely a really entertaining show. And I thought that they did a good job with a lot of a lot of the feedback that I gave them. They actually they used a lot of it, which I was I was really happy about. One other thing we talked about um, was kind of later in the show. Dr. Marcus is kind of coming to terms with the fact that he lost this patient and Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, that that there's this head out on him and he's very stressed out. And so he goes outside the hospital and he's followed by, I think his boss. Mm -hmm. And during this scene, there were talks of like having him um, like kind of chain smoking out there, like just being so stressed out that he's smoking. And I'm like, let's, let's not send that message. I mean, there are definitely doctors in the world that smoke, but not at the hospital under like any circumstance. (laughs) Yeah. You actually have, like, at 
like at my hospital, if you need to smoke, you have to cross the street and go into like a ditch, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just and way like, away from everyone. Not even during the purge, not during, you know, not during any like public health crisis would we be smoking at the hospital generally. So they, I mean, after talking to the, him about that, and I don't know if it was me or if something else happened, but that, you know, they took that out. So. Yeah. And I do appreciate that they kind of sold it where, you know, when you do have a bad code like that, you definitely need to take you time. Yeah. Walk out. Like yeah. I've had many bad codes where I go, I got to go for a walk and I'll see you guys in like five minutes. Yeah. There's no way you can just keep at that intensity or that level of care after something crazy like that happens. There's no way you can do that. Yeah. It's and a I really think, unique position to be in, um, yeah. in, in a way that it's like an honor to be able to serve people and like be there for them in that time. But also you take on a huge personal and emotional like responsibility. And I agree. I, you know, you need, you need to take a moment in order to go back to the same, you know, go back to work, work in a yeah. mile a minute. I yeah. can just imagine going from, you know, that sort of intensity to like a hot Cheetos situation. <laughs> the old hot Cheetosis where kids come in with tummy pain and red fingers and they already know what's wrong with them. Oh it's yes. Like, I'm not, that's one of my favorites though, is like when the parents bring the kids in and they're like, her hands are blue. And then I just like wipe the blue off the hands and then that, I'm a hero. Yeah. That, <laughs> you know, it's funny that you brought that up. That actually happened to me yesterday where a kid got brought in from cardiology clinic because her feet were red, like bright, bright red. And the mom was freaking out. So I saw the kid and I go, are those your socks? And she goes, yeah, they're my new socks. I grabbed alcohol wipes and I just wiped her feet and I just go, I fixed it. I know, but I love me. that because otherwise I don't, you know, red feet. I don't know what that's going to be. You also look so smart, though, when you do it because mm -hmm. you're like, obviously, it's red dye on her feet. I have fixed your problem already. Or when a kid's get this happened last week where a kid got sent in for child abuse mm -hmm. because he had bruising, quote unquote, in the middle of his thighs. Yep. It was just new blue jeans. Oh, new blue jeans. <laughs> I like the easy fixes, right? Like the nursemaid's elbow. I put up a Tella back in the other day. I was, was going to say, put, fixing kneecaps, super fun. Yep. I'm like, very gratifying. Yeah. Like, I have healed you. Here's a thing to keep your knee in place for a little bit. See ortho. Bye bye. Yeah. So. I, love, I love it when you actually figure out the answer and fix the problem yeah. instead of saying, like, your fever will go away in two days. Yep. Trust me, you'll be fine. The hard thing about emergency medicine. It's called return precautions. That's what it is. You tell them you tell them what to worry about, and then when to come back. But tell, but reassuring that the department will always be there if they need it. And I think that's the message I always try to send to families. Like, you know, I don't know exactly what's wrong, but I know what's not going to kill you. But we're here if we need you need us. And I got to make decisions we both can sleep with that night. So if you're worried about something, let's talk it out and figure out why you're worried. And I think that's the education part that emergency medicine physicians in general need to kind of relay is like, I really do lose sleep if I don't do something right. And yep. you got to realize that I worry about your patient or you just as much as you do. And I yep. think just relaying that, that helps a lot. Definitely. Definitely lose sleep thinking about people sometimes. And then, you know, I'll look them up later and it's like, oh, everything's fine. I'm like, I didn't sleep for two nights. <laughs> for this crap? You yeah. unvaccinated <laughs> child who has um, a non-blanching rash? What do you have? <laughs> I can't sleep. I actually lost like a whole night's sleep and trying to hunt down a family who left AMA for that. And that was not fun. So yeah, a lot of callbacks, you know, just like call them and be like, so how are you feeling today? They're like, please stop calling. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. I try not to call now. I let someone else do it. Fair. <laughs> it helps a lot. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any, going back to the episode, if there's anything else that I can, oh, I thought it was really gross that they all walked around in their PPE for a long time. That was all bloody. I wrote that down too. And I think that there was a shortage of PPE in this situation. And we know what that feels like now, but yeah, you're right. They, they were, there was blood on, um, on the personal protective equipment and they were walking around. I was like, Ooh, that probably not with the blood. Out. No, that grossed me out so much. I'm like you're, you're just contaminating everybody with yeah. that. That should have been off the minute you left that room. Yeah. You got to take it off when you leave the room. That's yep. true. But oh, that one was that was gross. And then um, just general post purge um, shenanigans of like people under cars that had a decent amount of blood. I, that was always our complaint. And Johnny would agree with me on this. Mm -hmm. There's never not enough blood, I think, on any of these shows. I think we had a good amount of blood. I think the only one that didn't have that much blood was the first guy who got killed or the first scene that was established where yeah. he was just in his um, 
fancy house and got a knife in his back. I would expect more blood. Just the cleanup crew that they're just like, no, 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 not less blood. (laughs) Yeah. Like we don't want to clean all of this. This is too much. Yeah. Too much blood. They did a pristine job. And I wonder, it makes you think, what are these post-purge industries that would develop because of it? You know, like. Oh yeah. Like what, like the zoom of purge basically. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cleanup crews, security. I don't know what else. Well, the, the very first purge movie is literally about a guy who, his neighbors went after him because he's nouveau rich because he built uh security devices for the purge like panic purge panic rooms is the very first movie oh wow that, that makes sense so you answered our question Yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we went, we did through something non-medical and <laughs> <laughs> um i i actually had a couple questions that that came up watching the episode. Yeah. Um, the first one is, and I know it's probably not always avoidable, but mm-hmm. they wheeled out. So the the guy who went after Marcus, they wheeled out his corpse and just had a conversation over the body in the hall, in like the, the hallway of the ER. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and assume that generally that's not protocol. No. Yeah. No. Gen- again, maybe, maybe due to like decreased resources, but generally patients are left in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, you don't will. I mean, I, I don't know, Jackson. <laughs> I've had situations where I've actually dealt with patients in the hallway, like a lot. Um, in fellowship, we were the only children's hospital and trauma center in the whole state. So there were times that we would just see patients in the hallway, even when they're like acutely ill. Like I remembered one day someone said, hey, this there's a blue kid. I'm like, okay, whatever. And they bring in and the kids just limp and I'm starting CPR in the hallway as we're trying to find a room to stabilize this patient. So and this was in plain sight of everybody too. So mm-hmm. we're like doing CPR. I'm asking someone to get me like a blade to intubate the whole thing. And I'm doing this in the middle of a hallway. As an adult emergency medicine physician, uh-huh. that scares the crap out of me. <laughs> As a pediatric emergency physician, it scared the crap out of me. Yeah, like, that's that's and, terrifying. And I mean, the, being uh, in the hallway is bad and, you know, but that whole situation, yikes. But also you're thinking, oh my God, all these kids are seeing me torture this child. Yeah, that's true. So that's yeah. the other toll that people don't realize in the in like the heat of everything. You're like, I got to save this kid. But then you got to realize, oh my God, everyone else is seeing me work on a dead child. Yeah, which like, is why we try not to do work in the hallways, but it yeah. definitely happens. You know, yes. some places have hallway beds, just gen- like always in residency. We always, there's always hallway beds. And it's scary when people crash in the hallway beds because, and those are the patients that get forgotten about the quickest. Yeah, because they're not they're supposed not, to be the sickest. Yeah, and they're not on monitors usually too, so no one's paying attention to them. So when they just are asleep, they're not really asleep. They're yeah. down, and then you you panic at that point. So that happens, but you try not to talk about them in the hallway too because mm-hmm. there's no privacy as well. So basically their business is everyone else's business. Right. At that point. And in, in the situation that somebody does pass away, I assume mm-hmm. that they're not being wheeled through a hallway uncovered. And um, so that kid, we actually had to move the patient that was already in the sick bay out mm-hmm. and then try to take over that room to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Eventually um, we had something called the wagon and it was like a red flyer wagon, which I never look at those the same way again. Because that's where we put the really smaller kids and then oh. we would wagon them out. Oh, God, that's awful. I'm, yeah. I, I do adults. I try not to. <laughs> I mean, I see some kids, but. <laughs> it's really rare when kids get super, super sick. But when yeah. they do, they really get sick, Ugh, which is why my job exists. Yeah, honestly. For it's, sure. But it's it's still better sometimes than dealing with stinky adults that suck. Yeah. Hey, thank you for Pam. I'll take the adults. Fair. I mean, I I do my job because I like it and I think it is the only place I was supposed to work at. I will say that. And Johnny knows that. He's seen me do this job for a few years now. It's it's fun. But yeah. Uh, uh, Second question, and you guys kind of talked about it a little bit, but um, so obviously Marcus had an emotional attachment to this patient the minute he realized that, holy crap, this guy broke into my house and tried mm-hmm. to kill me. This is an amazingly extenuating circumstance, mm-hmm. but generally like, let, let's say it's not, you know, it's not a purge weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
and someone that you know, okay, I'm I'm connected to shows up at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And there is, I assume if there's somebody else too available to available to take care of them, you'd kind of tag out. Yeah. So I grew up in San Diego and then I went back to San Diego and did my residency. So I actually got a lot more of this than I I bargained for. Oh no. <laughs> um yeah. So, I mean, people, people, all sorts of people would show up, like people from high school would come in and they're, you know, EMS providers, patients at one point, like one of my neighbors came in and oh, I walked no. into the room and I was like, he, he was like, I want, you know, it's like, you, you got to get somebody that usually doesn't know them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it, it depends on the circumstance, but for, for me, for patients, when I was seeing them in the ED generally, if I wasn't the only physician there, which in residency, you never are, um, I would hand it off to someone who doesn't know the patient. Um, but it depends. I've seen people I know too. I took care of somebody's kid the other day. Um, that's a friend. So same. I think it, it really does depend on the circumstance. Like, um, but then also it's like when you get the, Hey, do you remember this patient? And then they show up again and they're really sick. You're like, Oh no, I don't really want to take care of this patient. Cause I kind of, I think I messed up the first time. I don't want to mess it up more. Or I don't want to, or maybe this is my chance for redemption. You're like, oh, I don't want to see you. Can someone else see them? Please and thank you. A lot of times these days I work single coverage at a lot of the hospitals. And so I'm like, well, I'm the only one here. <laughs> oh yeah. When they go, is there another doctor here? I'm like, nope, just me. Yep. I'm the only one. Uh, I think if you want somebody else, you'd have to go to another hospital. <laughs> that happens at my job a lot. And like, is there an older looking doctor? <laughs> <laughs> no. Who's the boss today? Me. Are there any, is, who's your boss? It's still me. Yeah. Is someone else going to come in? No. We're going to go somewhere else. Okay, bye. Yeah, I get that a lot, actually. Like the, um, like, not a lot, but with, with particular patients, I've gotten the like, can I, t- like, is, there, is your boss here type thing? I'm like, no, <laughs> there's still not, me. still just me, little old me. So yeah, in those circumstances, I definitely am obviously seeing everybody, but um. Yeah. I mean, this was a weird one because this guy had like attacked him. So I think on a normal day, you probably wouldn't be the physician. Oh God, no. um, but on like a post purge day, I, I guess, you know, anything can happen. I mean, I use like the analogy of my, we'll have psychiatric patients that are super aggressive and hostile and they attack you. And all of a sudden they like find a pill that wasn't found earlier and then they take it and then they code and you're like, oh man, I really got to save this person's life. But they were really like brutal, like racial slurs attacking punching the whole thing like you still got to save their life but you try to find someone else to do it but you're like it's just you you got to do it so it's hard it's an an interesting like it's different from any other like line of work right because it's interesting that it's like different than any other line of medicine actually we take everybody and there's not really you know other people are like well you know what's your insurance or this or that and we don't ask those questions we see everybody no matter what we're the service industry we're the service industry of medicine. Yep. <laughs> you come Except in, we'll serve Bartenders you. can cut you off. That's yeah, true. Yeah, we can't. We are... Oh, no. No, we can. Well, from narcotics, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, you've had too much morphine, sir. Yeah. No more. You want <laughs> that drug that starts with the... oxygen as you want. Yeah. You want that drug that starts with a D? I, uh, we're fresh out. Fresh out, you guys. Allergic to? Oh, I better give you that Benadryl real slow. I don't want you getting another reaction. I give P.O. Benadryl. I run the Benadryl over an hour. <laughs> can't can't get a reaction if you run it over an hour exactly no high at all no that's, we're that's here to all... help people not make them high <laughs> exactly it's a side so, effect that's all exactly. it is um i'm trying to think is there anything else johnny that you wrote down uh, those those were my big notes anything specific that you want to cover on the episode before we um I think we were talking about earlier and I just thought this was interesting is, and I mean, I don't generally, I don't work on set with people. Um, I may, I'm working on a new JJ Abrams show for HBO. Um, I think I can say that I'm working on it. I signed NDAs for a lot of this stuff. So I'm like not allowed to speak about anything until after the fact, but it's like been published that this is coming out. So I should be able to say the name of it. It's called Demi Mond. And so for that, I may be like going on set to help with some things, kind of like Fine. set up stuff and some other things. But a lot of times I'm not on set. So like when things happen that are not accurate, obviously I'm not there. 
Um, so one of the things, and it wasn't like something particular for this show, but one of the things that can happen sometimes are pronunciation of like very specific medical words where, I mean, we spend years learning the language of medicine. It's literally a different language. So yeah. the pronunciation of all these words is really difficult. And one that I noticed in a show kind of recently, um, was troponin, which is a heart marker and, yeah. and they were using, I think the Br British pronunciation, but it was a, an American show, but they were calling it troponin. I'm like, yeah, I would have, I would have fixed that. Yeah. They're just like little things, you know, that, that are sometimes nitpicky, but I'm like, you, again, you want to keep people in that reality. You want to keep people, you and know. It's true though. When they say a word wrong, it really does pull you out, especially if you have any kind of medical knowledge, it immediately yanks you out. And that yeah. was like one of those things when I played a doctor on TV long ago, I um, it. I whispered to like the actors, like, that's how you say the word. You got to say it right. And then the, the follow-up question was, what kind of actor are you? I'm like, I'm not an actor. I'm a doctor. Why are you here? I need money. I have loans <laughs> to pay. They don't pay me enough in fellowship. I need more money. I know. It's, it's rough. Those first 12 to 16 years, man. <laughs> when $9 an hour with free lunch sounds good, you're like, man, this yep. is rough. This is a rough go. You want in and out, but you get paid more than us. Yep, yep. But your manager, you know, gets six figures. <laughs> but it's you know, I think it's like it's a passion. You know, you kind of get into it. I, I volunteer for a lot of stuff. My dad keeps telling me I need to stop volunteering, but <laughs> I think you do what you like, and it's it's definitely a creative output because like you can't just do medicine, medicine, medicine all day long. You're gonna go nuts. Yeah, and I think I think that's this is why this podcast is fun for us too, is because it's like a different like creative output in general. Definitely. And I think it's more fun because you just can't be a doctor all the time. You got to turn it off at some point. And I think yeah. what you're doing is actually a fun way to kind of turn it off, but also teach people, but also have fun doing it and not getting people making fun of what we do for a living. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely. I, I really enjoy it. And I hopefully, um, you know, there's some type of public health effect in the long run when people see things and have their sense of, you know, reality closer to the truth. Um, and then also just for, a, you know, the creative side of things that trying to create TV and drama that's accurate to real life, which is the whole point. Um, and, and it's true. People get so much of their education about medicine just from random TV shows. Yeah, a lot it of gets brought up all the time. Like I saw Dr. Pimple Popper. This is going to mm -hmm. look great. And then I go, you remember you can't smell stuff on TV. It's going to smell real bad. And yeah. then people pass out. Yeah, there's, and I mean, now with social media too, I mean, there's a lot of information out there. So there's means there's a lot of misinformation too. And so, so this is just one little effort to try and fight that and try and get the right information into people's homes and minds and, and whatnot. And I think that is a very, very fair and noble thing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Changing tracks here. I do have an important question that we ask every episode. The human centipede bills itself as 100% medically accurate. If that's the case, and if that's our baseline, how medically accurate is season two, episode two of The Purge, the series, Everything is Fine. And Ashley, you can pass, <laughs> but broke. that's no fun. <laughs> I worked on it so clearly. I mean, I think that they did a really good job. I think living through this, like, you know, doomsday post apocalyptic world. I mean, we've, we've, wait, kind of, this one that we're living in now or the one in the show? That was, that was actually going to be my point. I think now that we know what that actually feels like in our generation um, of, me you know, medical professionals, I think they did a really good job. I think, am I supposed to give it a percentage? As yeah, as, uh, yeah, like as a scale, uh, the highest we've done has been 450% for an episode <gasps> of Bob's Burgers. It was about pinworms. It was really accurate. <laughs> uh, and 400% uh, for Midsummer, And then the lowest we've done have been uh, Crank 2, which got a 1% when we bumped it up. And Lucy got 10%, which just seemed appropriate. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do the scale zero to a hundred if that's okay. hundred uh, would be human centipede. Level. Yeah. hundred, hundred percent means it's as accurate as human centipede. So if it's twice as accurate as human centipede, then oh, it's God. a 200%. Okay. I, yeah, I would say, I would, I would say like, you know, but 350%, maybe 400%. Human centipede is pretty bad. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? I wrote 352. That was actually where I kind <laughs> oh, of Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. See, me and Jackson, we belong on medical sets together. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been on one or two. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, it, I mean, a lot of it is pretty accurate. Like, the chaos of an emergency department after a, a pandemic, we've all recognized this and we've seen it now. Yeah. And it does get really chaotic. And you do have that anxiety of all the patients standing there, like, screaming, like, let us in. Why are you seeing that patient first? And like, you kind of got that sense too, like, and we get that all the time. Like, we were here before that person. Why are you seeing that person first? And that's like the anxiety that always builds up and people thinking we go based on waiting time, which we don't. But also it was kind of odd for him pointing that person on the ground needs to be seen now. I never walk through the front door of my emergency department if I can avoid it, um, mainly because I don't want to see what's going on. I don't know if you do that, but I definitely. I, I I don't know any ER doctors that walk through the front door. Yeah. I walk through the ambulance bay or the employee entrance or some side entrance so they don't know that I'm coming in. I never yeah. thought about that. But yeah, what? we see that all the time. That Everyone walks through the front in. door? Yeah. Never. And never walk through the front door. Kind of bad juju. It is. Because everyone can eyeball you and all that stuff. It's like the day when... When I was a fellow, we used to have to go out into the waiting room and tell people how long the longest person has been waiting. We're trying our best to see everyone. It's like a customer service thing. And um, my attendings didn't want to do it as a fellow. So they made me do it. So I went out and I said, hey, my name is Dr. Vane. Um, the longest patient that has been waiting has been waiting for an hour and a half. Um, our beds are all full right now, but we'll try to get to you as soon as we can. Thanks for being patient with us. If you have any concerns, you can ask the nurse to find me and I'll come out and talk to you. The minute I finish that sentence, a mom just goes, that guy's the doctor? We're out of here. They just like stood up and left. And I just said, bye. Thanks for coming. Is it because you look young? Yeah. I. That's good. That's your youthful. That's great. Yeah. But I can also, it that helped one. clear the board. Oh, yeah. I cleared that waiting room real quick. All the, my attending was like, Jackson, there's been eight left without being seen. I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> I, I can't help that. But... That's a big reason. That's also one of the reasons why I don't go to the waiting room. I don't want people to know that I'm there. It's like the last thing they want to see, I think, is like a doctor just rolling in. Um, hey, I, you know, I got 20 minutes. Way. How you doing? You need a drink? We'll <laughs> <laughs> oh see God. when you get back. <laughs> yeah. The number of people that ask me for drinks is astronomical. As I'm walking in, they're like, oh, you are you a doctor here? Where's the cafeteria? Um, I'm like, I'm pretty sure we told you don't eat before we see you <laughs> oh you're still you still want food i think you're gonna be okay you can yeah. have food you can you can go home too after that but yeah but i think 350 good good number yeah it's okay. pretty respectable yeah okay ashley you've, you've talked a little bit about what what you're doing but where else can people find you you mean on like the internet yeah Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's a Alker. So A A L K E R M D. I'm also on Instagram and recently started on clubhouse as well, which is like a new kind of mm -hmm. interactive podcast forum. Um, but yeah, I always have the same, the same name and I have a website too. If you want to reach out to me for any reason, it's just my name, Ashley Alker, md.com. Um, my first name spelled a little funny. It's A S H E L Y. But yeah, if you guys have any interest um, in TV consulting or anything else, please reach out. And it was great talking to you guys today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, really this appreciate it, folks. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, uh, best thing you can do is tell one person about the, this podcast. That's how podcasts get around is word of mouth. But thanks, Ashley, for joining us. Thank you, Jackson, as always. And yep. we will see you folks next week. Thanks.